Hi everyone, welcome back. Hello. I'm welcome. just looking, Mel, at my really wonky plant that I own. Basically, I have a plant that took a very 2020 turn. It was growing straight and now leans very drastically to one side. And I just don't know what to do about it. Oh no, it's good. Leave it straight. It's boring. And on that note, you should all follow us on social media because we're really funny over there just like we are here in real life and also have really brilliant, interesting, useful content. We are on Instagram at openhousepod and on Twitter at underscore openhousepod and we always love an email so please feel free to email us talkopenhouse at gmail.com if you would like to reach out. Yes, this is going to be a really beautiful episode. It's one that I really connected to. Um, today's guest is Emma Kirk Odenubi, who is a footwear specialist and sports scientist, and they brought a couple of incredible conversations about grief and um, changing career paths, which was just a joy, a joy to listen to. Yeah, she's brilliant. Um, also, just to let you all know, we might have made a cheeky appearance on a. Uh, on a, on quite a fun little, uh, I say little, very cool podcast this week. We are on Grace Mowat's podcast, Cut to the Grace, on the uh, Let's Talk About section that Grace is now doing, um, or has been doing for a while. So if you fancy checking it out, and also just checking out Grace's podcast in general, because it's brilliant, Grace is brilliant, obviously, as you know, if you've listened to that episode um, that we did with her. Yeah, we were um, so lucky to have her on, and we were very grateful to have been asked on her podcast. Yeah, so go check it out if you would like to do so. And another thing, um, a friend of us, of us both, uh, Becca Wilson, is the founder of BW Self-Defense Training, and she's offering free online self-defense courses um, over the next few weeks, few months, mm-hmm. um, coming up. They're free, they're online, so you can access them anywhere in the world, and they're gonna kind of give you some uh, tips and trips, tip, tip, tips and trips, tips and tricks on um, defending yourself um, from any potential attack. Um, so it's such a valuable resource. We did an Instagram live with Becca. If you want to find out more about that, it's on our um, IGTV and it's also on Becca's IGTV. Um, but definitely sign up for those courses. It's BW Self-Defense Training. And without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to Open House. The podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy, and me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty-gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Open House. We are so excited to be doing another podcast episode. So excited that I'm going to stand. Today, we have... um, Emma Kirk Odinobi on the podcast. Emma is a footwear specialist and sports scientist who has been in the running industry for over 10 years. A self-professed running biomechanics nerd and trainer geek, Emma can match the perfect footwear to the individual runner by assessing gait movement patterns. So cool. Oh my goodness. Emma is a level four sports and conditioning coach coach at Track Life London (laughs) and a running group exercise instructor at Third Space. As well as all that, she is an Under Armour running ambassador and also has some, I can confirm, really brilliant 
strength workouts on Instagram. Please welcome to the show, Emma! <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much. What a, what a introduction. <laughs> Stoked by that. Honestly, you like hyped me up. I'm like, woo! Oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, blow some smoke up our guests, um, <laughs> artists, but so to speak. Is is that the phrase <laughs> I wanted it. to use? You know what? Well, let's go for it. <laughs> okay, Emma, would you be down for playing a game of two truths and one lie? Yes. So, um, I have three brothers. Okay. I once did burpees for 24 hours and i i've dislocated both my shoulders oh wow okay <laughs> that's hard okay no no, no. i think I, I think i know this one i think i know this one i but think i'm that... gonna no you go mel i think so I definitely know one of these is these is true, thanks to the internet. Um, and I think the other one might be because I think I think the brothers one is the sort of most neutral out of the three. And I think you may have brothers, but not three, either less or more. So I think brothers yeah. is the lie. You have to split both your shoulders and you did burpees for twenty four hours, which we will get onto because that's amazing. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it's like two brothers or okay. four brothers. Put us out of our misery. You yeah. are correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yes. Because both you of the other it. ones, both of the other ones, I was like, she definitely could have done both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I was trying to think of ones that like on the same level and I was like, hmm. That's so, okay. Firstly, how did you dislocate both of your shoulders? Was it at the same time? Um, in oh. separate? Tell me. So, right one, snowboarding down a hill with <gasps> a skateboard with no wheels. <laughs> because we got snow in the UK, right? So I had a skateboard and I was like, I'm just going to take the wheels off and make it a snowboard. And obviously they're not the same. Um, <laughs> so I literally hit like the middle part of the hill. And there's actually some old footage somewhere on Facebook of me literally just as I stack it. And my friend stops the video. No. You can just see my legs fly in the air. <gasps> And I like just fall. Um, so that was the first time. To look out for and then... the podcast, the footage. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second time was actually skiing. So I was out in France and was going down a black run and then went off piste, got my skis crossed underneath my feet as I was going off piste and then just face planted onto the floor and dislocated the other one. And Emma, oh, is this why you're a running ep expert? Because you stay away from snow now. It's like snow <laughs> no, out of I still bounds. absolutely love it. Honestly, I still absolutely love it. Like, it's you know ridiculous. I've, I've never done like, I've, I think I did skiing like once when I was a kid, but I grew up in Australia, so it's not really like a thing thing. Um, but it, now it gives me the fear because you hear so many stories about people injuring themselves, like skiing or snowboarding. Oh, and it's I mean, so worth I, it though. I mean, I've watched Shallow Girl one too many times and those injuries are... <laughs> Yeah. But Emma, I feel like, so however the Instagram algorithm is configured, you are always the first person in the morning for the stories on my Instagram. Brilliant. So I really, I really feel like I know you, which is scary. I know social media <laughs> creates that like false sense of intimacy. It does. But every morning you've got, how do you have, how do you fit it into your life? 
because I like we're trying to build a bit of a following for the for the podcast it's so people so listen hard. to the podcast. But like I'm like getting up to like create something really like meaningful and like it's just like takes so time consuming. Exactly. How do you like, do it? How is, do you stay on it? I just kind of I now get to a point where I just share whatever I share. Like, yeah. I'm like if you like it, cool. If you don't, bye. Like yeah, it yeah. just comes and like say especially my day to day stuff on my stories. Yeah. Especially with the last year. I'm just like, okay, cool. So this is my exciting food day. Uh, today hasn't been exciting or today has been <laughs> exciting. Like, that's literally what it's like. And if people resonate with it, great. If yeah. Don't, also great. Like, yeah. And then, I like, on, yeah. take my hat off to you being able to like, almost like be a presence in people's like, lives because I'm just like I'm trying I'm really trying but I'm like I've got other shit to do like I can't just hang around <laughs> yeah no I hear you absolutely um but yes yeah, so I've been watching your videos especially because like I've never been a runner but being in lockdown has made me just like not walking places I'm like I need to move my body and like get air and usually like Mel and I have both worked in theatre and like, we've done a lot of musical theatre so there's it's you know high intensity cardio you're singing at the same time we go to dance class you're always training in some way and without that I've just been a bit lost but my my boyfriend he he's gotten into running so I've been I've been going with him fucking hell it's hard I'm like my knee hurts why does my knee hurt so I've been seeing all your amazing videos like where you like people ask you questions and the fact that you take the time to to answer them I honestly take my hat off to you so so Um, cool Emma, shall we move on to your first difficult conversation? Go for it. Amazing. Um, where do you want to start? I don't know if you want to look at kind of grief first or this change of... What, what did you refer to as an epic redirection? Which and yeah. I have no idea what that's concerning, but I, whatever one you want, to, you want to offer up first and we'll, we'll chat around it. So one of the, like, I'd say biggest changes in my life so far, I say that as if I'm like 60 years old, but... Um, <laughs> I'm like 28, just for reference. So, but one of the biggest changes in my life. So when I first came out of university, I was working for Nike at the big Nike town in central London. And um, ever since I was a kid, that was what I was super passionate about, was like working for a big brand and working for a brand that had like um, a message and wanted to inspire people because that's what sport and fitness did for me. So I always wanted that in my life. Anyway, I went to uni whilst I was still working there and then came back and was like, right, I now got a degree, got in sports science. Mm. Um, I want to I want to grow in that company. I want to try and, you know, be the best I can be. So worked really hard, put my kind of eyes to the ground. I was like, cool, I'm going to work really hard for this. I know it's what I want. I want to be up there within this major sports company. So I then spoke to my line manager at the time who was head of the floor and she was like, look, I'll be super honest with you. You need to go away gain some more knowledge, work maybe in a smaller retail environment, smaller yeah. sportswear environment, and then come back to us and tell us everything you've learned. And then, do you know what? That's what we're going to look for. That's going to be great. And I was like, okay, cool. That's my five-year plan. That's what I'm going to do. So oh. I then was, what, 21, 22, when I left that company and then ended up going working for smaller retailers. So places like Runners World, I ended up working for, which was out far east, sorry, West London. And then ended up, um, my main role was a place called Profeet, which is in Fulham. Um, I started as basically a very 
bottom level gait analyst. Um, so we looked at runners' feet, we did foot pressure scans of their feet, and then based on that would suggest footwear and also give injury advice. So that's where I started. And then year on year, luckily enough, I was kind of promoted up to senior technician, assistant manager, and then ultimately my final two years there, I was a manager and buyer of the footwear. So kind of worked my way up through the company and learned so much kind of shadowed podiatrists um was very fortunate to kind of do trips out to germany to see some of the latest technology for footwear all this sort of stuff so i i learned so much from so many different brands and was like this is it this is awesome i'm learning so much i'm loving it and then it got to a point where because it was a smaller company i guess i was like right i feel like i need to need to make that jump there's only so much you can do in a small place i'm gonna make that jump so i my dream job within said major sports brand came up i was like you know what i think it's time it's time that i go for it you know i feel i'm ready i've got the skills now i've got this cv which has got all the sick stuff on it let's go (laughs) honestly i was like this is it i can't have any more skills i went away been the way for four or five years come at me bro like i was ready (laughs) <laughs> so I contacted the line manager, same one, and she was like, I'll write you a reference. Um, oh, yes. And applied to it, went to interview. They loved it. It's like sick. Then I went to another group interview, again, got through, and it was down to the final two people. And basically just had to wait for a call. That was it. I was just waiting for a call. And bear in mind that this was my dream job, but I wished for, for every time I'd gone for an opportunity or gone to do something or push my Instagram or done this, it was for this opportunity. And I basically got a phone call. I took it at work, got a phone call and was told that it wasn't for me because I had limited digital experience. And I can't even, I literally was at work. I was the manager, I was in charge. I broke down and bawled my eyes out for about 40 minutes. And I just, I was the most lost ever because it was or every single thing that I had worked for, for that five years was to be like, cool, I'm gonna work for this epic brand. I'm gonna be the best. That's just the way it's gonna go. And I literally felt like that. My life, I was like, what's my point now? What, what do I do? What's my point? What's my existence about? Um, and luckily at the time, I was working with an incredible coach who was very well known in the industry. You may know her, Jocelyn Thompson Rule. Nice. Um, she is a Nike master trainer. Yes. Um, incredible woman and someone I get to call a friend now. And I remember literally after I hung up the phone from it, called her up and I was like what am I doing I know I, I've worked so hard for this I go just what am I doing and um she was like take a sec mm. get a redirection you're gonna be fine we just need to you know take a second so I then basically and this is where I was talking about this epic redirection I had to kind of sit there and go right okay so that was a no that was a closed door that I thought was going to be open now what and that's what caused me to sit there and think okay well i know i like fitness i've always liked fitness okay well can i can i help other people well that's what i do in my normal job i help people i help them sort their footwear and things like that okay well maybe i can make a career out of that maybe that's my next direction and that's where i then went okay cool so now i'm going to get a strength conditioning qualification so i got the strength conditioning qualification then once i had that i was like okay 
now I need some experience. Okay, let's go and do some group exercise. So I started doing some work with F45 just to build up teaching classes, being in a group environment. And then came the point where I think was probably what, a year, year and a half ago, where I saw the third space were looking for instructors. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's make the jump. And then, yeah, that was how I then ended up end of probably just, yeah, about a year ago, leaving full-time career, full-time work, going self-employed at the start of 2020. Interesting choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. um, Yeah. And then here we are today, like with all whatever happened in 2020 and Under Armour, all that jazz. So like it, it's meant to happen. I think it's where the biggest lesson for me and like is that yes okay you have a career path and it's what in your brain you set out is going to be the the career path for you it's not always going to be that way like it's not and I think Mm. there's so many people that think oh you know what well I said I'm going to be a solicitor so I'm going to be that forever and you know I've done the qualifications so that's what I'm going to do yeah and they're like oh well my family know that's what I do so I'm going to stick with that and yeah that's that's going to be my focus and I think you need to reframe that and go, okay, well, what actually makes you happy? What do you enjoy doing? Not what anyone else thinks, not what like your family think or anything like that, like what actually makes you happy? And then can you monetize that? And can you make Mm -hmm. it something that you can live off of? And I think that's where, yeah, like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy in any way, shape or form, as 2020 showed everyone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think, yeah, it was the biggest redirection of my life thus far just because of yeah the way that I was so set on one thing that then the redirection actually ended up being something pretty amazing and if I hadn't lost the thing that I thought was the most important I wouldn't be here where I am right now with my career Mm -hmm. so for me that's the biggest kind of thing and also when I did it initially my mum was like Emma self-employed like who's gonna pay your bills I was like me And she was like, but where, where's where's the constant income coming from? I was like, me. Um, or if you're being now, nowhere. No, if, yes, if you're us right we, now, being an actor. We, were like, we, we, we did the same thing, but we were like, what do we enjoy? Talking to people and creating content. We were like, can we monetize it? No, no but we're going to we'll do, do it anyway. anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. That's amazing though. What and what a what a chat to have with yourself and to like oh I really do feel like when you deal with rejection like that, you almost have to like shove yourself uphill. I think in terms of having that conversation with yourself about like dealing with the rejection, I think I know a lot of the time for myself, like Mel and I are both actors, so we we deal with that kind of rejection. I mean, not quite the same because it's like I it's it's different when it's a specific project. Like I've had certain projects that have been so much more like so much more of a kind of kick in the side than others. But I know sometimes I do that deflection thing where you go, Oh well, well, it wasn't right for me and they don't need me. Exactly. And it's how do you how do you let yourself sit in the sadness of I really wanted that and I didn't get that, but then also then lift yourself up and move on from that? Like, how does that kind of coming out of that space work for you? So it's definitely something that I still struggle with on a daily yeah. basis. Like 100%, I don't give myself enough time to just sit with something and actually give myself 
the like it's okay to feel yeah. rubbish and feel bad about a situation like it doesn't mean you're any weaker or anything like that and even to this day no matter what goes on whether it's injury or something random in the world going on that just changes everything I will still beat myself up for how I feel about it but I remember from this situation I definitely spiraled definitely into a sort of depression after it because for me that was all my focus was and mm. the way I told the story was if I turned around the next day and was like cool this is what I'm doing I was in that state for about a month yeah was just lost like I wake up come to work people are like you okay and I'd be like yeah fine that kind of vacant sort of dead behind the eyes but still there still kind of functioning and yeah it was kind of say it was kind of the loss of a passion that I've been working towards for five odd years and I know for a lot of people that's not a huge amount of time but with kind of a an athletics background I can sympathize with all these people that kind of work towards like Olympics or world champs or all that kind of stuff because it's that sort of everything you do day in day out is towards that one goal and then if it goes then you're like well what's my purpose and so I think as you said the most important thing was for me to not rush myself out of that feeling of depression basically from the loss of it I had to literally deal with it as if it was grief and as if it was lost because it was something that I wanted so much and then had to sit with it process it and go okay how can I make the best of this situation and that's then when I kind of went into right what do I love because I needed to find that passion back in something else and that's where fitness came in and sport came in so mm. obviously yeah. um you said that you, you know, you managed to speak to a really great friend and they were like, okay, we're going to regroup. We're going to look forward. We're going to come out of this. How much of that getting yourself out of or having the difficult conversation is it with yourself? And how much do you sort of rely on like other people around you to help with those sort of processes? Because for me personally, I think I need to like process things a lot on my own. And even if I've had all of this great advice from like friends and stuff, I think maybe it's part of that deflection thing that we just talked about. Um, I'll sort of be like, no, 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 I'm going to figure it out. And then once I've come to the conclusion, could well be the very same conclusion as my friends, but I needed to do it myself. <laughs> I just wonder for you what, yeah, how much of that is is coming from you and how much is it um, mediated and helped by people around you? So I think I'm definitely influenced a lot by people around me. Mm. Um for the good or the bad, but <laughs> I, I am influenced a lot. And I think at the time I was living with my best friend, Ella, um, who I've known since I was like 11. Mm. So she knows me really, really well. Oh. And she could see how one, it affected me and two would then try and like rationalize it with me and almost give me a little bit of hard love as well as like, okay, mm. this is what you, this is what you're passionate about. You need to remember that this is still you that role that job that you didn't get doesn't define who you are and i think having her there as that voice whenever i was kind of like what am i doing was super super helpful and i think she yeah she could see it in me which was great but then as you said i also still had to try and have that self-talk with myself and be like no no you're like you're worth more than the job loss like there's so much more to you than that like you're passionate about this you're passionate about that it's not just zoned into one thing so I say I'm definitely still working on the self-talk thing it's it's definitely a work in progress <laughs> um still have those little voices being like are you sure you're not are you sure are you 
you going to try and do that, really? And, and they're they the most like, difficult no. conversations, aren't they? Because like we can talk about all of this stuff that we've chatted to friends about or chatted to partners about and all of this kind of stuff, but it's that it's that person, you know, in your head, the you, the other version of you, or the many mm. versions of you, the many facets of you. They're the most difficult. Exactly. She'll like have to exactly. know and what I always... you want and kind of know what they want, but be like, actually, no, I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I always think about, you know, when you used to watch, like, all I can think of is, like, Dexter's Laboratory from Cartoon <gasps> Network. Do you remember oh that? Oh, Right? Sick and do you remember there were conversations, right, when he used to have, like, a devil on one side yes. and then the angel on the other? That's how I literally envisage when I have these chats in my head. I'm like, well, this is what this one's saying, but hang on a minute, let me think about what would this one's saying. No, no, no. Okay, like, I love that you've gone to that because my head just went to Lizzie McGuire. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yes. I saw I saw a tweet, it's so childish, but I was like, ha ha ha. It was like um about uh Biden's uh, inauguration. It was like by Trump, you're so yesterday. You know the song? So yesterday, yeah. so yesterday. Love I was that. like, hey <laughs> That is proper nineties kids right there. Oh that yeah, oh yeah. 90s For kids. Sure. Oh wow, that's brilliant. But yeah, I'm feeling those Dexter's laboratory vibes. That's exactly. I've what never it is. seen that. Oh, um, so good! I'll show you. Really, I love that you um that you've got your friend Eleanor, who you've known since you were eleven. How have you guys managed to maintain such a great relationship for that long? That's or is incredible. It great? Who knows? Let's not put words into Emma's mouth. <laughs> Joking. This is me just stirring. Love it. Love it. <laughs> um, no, so we. We met at secondary school. We ended up being in the same form put together. Yeah. And we were kind of like acquaintance friends. So we like knew each other in form time and we'd get like mm. partnered up with each other in English class and then maths were in the same sets and all that jazz. And then became really close friends, I suppose, as we went in like year 10, 11. So what, like 15, 16 year olds. Um, stayed on at our school, which then turned into a college. Um, or they had the option to just go into college from the school. So it was connected directly, which oh, was really cool. cool. And that's when we became a lot closer. And then once we both went to uni, Ella went to Manchester and did a foundation degree um, before she then went on and did biology. And I went to Brunel to do sports science. And then Seven. we kind of kept in touch through uni, but kind of very fleetingly, obviously uni is like a, so you just kind of <laughs> people everywhere. Hello, hi, who are you? Yeah. Um, and then maybe, I think it was my final year, we were in touch a lot more. And because she'd done a foundation year, she had an extra year still at university. So mm. I moved down to London on my own, was just living in like a house share. And then when she finished her course, she was like, oh, I need to move down to, um, to London. I'm gonna be doing this, this and this. Um, because she wasn't about to commute from Brighton up every day to no. go to London. And no. then, yeah, we ended up just living together. So it was Yay. just kind of the constant kind of talking all the time and then live with each other for like three years, three and a half years. Um, yeah, oh, that's and just kind amazing. of moved around London um, and then COVID. And she, we both moved back to Brighton middle of last year. And then because work and stuff with Third Space came back, I then moved back up. And because of what her job is, she can stay and actually work from home in Brighton. So, oh, great. Oh, gosh. oh the seaside. Yeah, it was... I'm yeah <laughs> that's so, so nice. lovely that's i am um, because i so i went to secondary school in singapore um so all of my like friends from secondary school well actually the, what was great was a lot of them came to london to study so i had like this group of people from secondary school from like the other side of the world that and we were all here studying in london but then most of them have now gone back 
and they're in Singapore where COVID numbers have been like like are under control it so they're like doing exist. shit oh. I was like how are you guys they were like yeah life's pretty much normal and I was like I hate you, you. see like pictures of them <laughs> yeah. like doing things and like nice like, weather and like banana boating yeah banana boating I'm like oh I'm so jealous <laughs> Emma I'm really excited to explore your second difficult conversation um it's a topic that's quite close to my heart so I'm really interested to hear your take on it so when you're ready do you want to introduce your second conversation so my second topic is about grief and about loss um i think it's it's something that people talk about from a mental health perspective a lot kind of try and bring it up in mental health but i don't think it's addressed openly and discussed openly considering it's something that affects pretty much every single person on earth because at some Mm. point sadly we will lose people close to us um be that through a relationship through death or anything like we will you will lose someone um and so my experience thus far um when i was 19 so my first year of uni um my dad died of a brain tumor so i was yeah 19 i'd been in uni for seven months not even seven months so it was in 2012 he passed away so i went to uni in 2011 september um he was diagnosed july 2011 so very short very quickly yeah and yeah it it was a surprise that it even existed in the first place um he spent a lot of the time kind of ignoring things that doctors were saying when he eventually told me and my little sister it had been uh i think he'd had it for about three months at the time but ignored it hadn't listened to what people had said and it took for him to basically collapse in the street i at the time was competing at a competition for um, athletics i got a phone call from my mum to be like uh your dad's in hospital um collapsed in the street and that's when because basically the pressure the brain tumor on his head had caused him to collapse anyway so then over that kind of july through till february period the next year um he lost his speech he couldn't walk he couldn't do motor skills he was in a bed in his own flat um kind of being cared for by his wife and hospice carers coming in and then the last couple of months he was moved into a hospice and then yeah ultimately died on february the 29th so the one leap year so i'll always remember it yeah um yeah so my condolences for your dad yeah mine too oh thank you um so yeah and that i will never forget the morning i found out um i was on my way to play netball because that was one of my passions and on the way to a match and it was like 6 30 in the morning got the call from my mum and um she was like yeah obviously told me um broke my heart and went and played netball as you do so went on carried on played netball played the day like it was nothing different and that kind of is a insight into how I kind of dealt with the whole thing so while I was at uni that first mostly that first year but pretty much the whole of my uni experience I kind of ignored that it had even happened didn't even acknowledge it the only way really I acknowledged it was if I went home to Brighton so I actively avoided going home so that I didn't have to feel that emotion and feel that that stress um my parents divorced when I was like four years old so my mum and dad weren't together but they were still kind of quite good friends which was good so when I went home 
even in the build up to his his ultimate death, I would go and stay with my mum because I couldn't even bring myself to go and stay with him, to see him and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like my grief started early because I just didn't want to engage in actually the real life situation that was going on. And the thought of him not being there forced me to not actually see him. So that was like a big thing that I look back now and I realized that at the time I just was like, nope, blinkers on, not gonna look at anything else. That's just what was going on. Um, and then, yeah, it basically took till the time I got out of uni was out of what I call it my my bubble, my holiday bubble of life, mm-hmm. and then into full time work. As I said, I moved into a house share, um, living with a fifty year old woman and her ginger cat. Oh <laughs> Honestly, it was so rogue. It was so rogue. That is hilarious. I always find it so Honestly. funny how people find places in London, but we'll get onto that later. Honestly. Anyway, please carry Honestly. on. So yeah. And did she Moved happen to the, be like uh, a grief therapist or something? Because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm like, this is a story. The ginger cat was Honestly. Clancy in another life. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I moved into there, and I think the positive or the negative within my, my room was quite large and within it I had availability to a fridge and all that jazz. So what it meant was I could pretty much live out my room if I really wanted to. And what it meant was as I then came out of that uni bubble where I was surrounded by netball people, my uni mates, the athletics crew, which I saw day in, day out, lived in a flat with 10 people constantly buzzing, chatting to each other for three years. And then I lived literally in a room on my own. And that's when like the walls came in and I just sunk down into an extremely, uh, yeah, deep depression grief um, that lasted at least a year, I'd say. And this is where I'm so passionate about running because running saved me. Like with the ability to go out and run, to clear my head, to try and process the thoughts that were almost holding me in my bed for a weeks at a time that's what helped me get out because then when I say posted my run on my social media account which I still had I'd then get people like oh cool that's where you run oh have you heard about this run club that's on this day how about you come and join that and at the time I was still working at Nike so I then knew about the run clubs that they had so I started to get myself involved in that end and then that's when I started doing these challenges and things like that because for me fitness saved me from my grief running saved me from my grief and that's not to say that I didn't address it because I did to a degree because I sat in that depressive state for a long time um Mm. like not getting out of bed sitting and eating three bowls of cereal a day and calling that a good food day like it was dark it was bad and I hold my hands up to it but I look back on it now and go that's what I needed to do at that moment in time yeah that's how my brain was trying to process whatever had gone on how i dealt with it how i cope with it and yeah don't get me wrong there's still days when like it's what over eight years later or almost eight years yeah over eight years later and there's still days where i get down about it and that's it just is what it is right but i think yeah fitness fitness saved me it's corny to say but it did the the direction of doing the 24 hours of burpees that was for cancer (laughs) research that was because i wanted to support obviously finding a cure for brain cancer only two percent of brain cancers are what's the word i'm looking for treatable so 
that's a massive thing for me. I raised money for the hospice that looked after him in his end of life care as well. So that was really important because they were there for him when I couldn't be. So there's a lot in terms of when I do charity challenges, I'm going to do them because I want people to be inspired to raise money for those people, for those charities, for that loved one. And I feel like my story is an individual. There's so many people that have suffered and I know that. And I feel like if it inspires someone else to sort of overcome the worst time and make mm. something out of it, then great. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. It's, um, yeah, it's a massive thing, isn't it? And I think it's a real bonding thing as well. Um, I mean, um, amongst people who have had similar experiences, like, um, so my, I had a very similar experience to you. My mom passed away after my first year of uni. Uh, I was like, <laughs> um, of breast cancer. Uh, different to yours, hers was, um, she had it in, she had it in 2008 for a while. And then four years later it recurred in 2012. And then it was like four, three years, four years. When did she die? 2016. So four years before she then passed away. So it was a long, it was a long yeah. time coming really. But one of my, so one of my friends who I made in my, in my first year of uni was in the third year and her dad had passed away, I think around the same time as yours from a brain tumor. And yeah. she knew that. So I was, I would do our uni work. So we'd be in drama school singing and dancing like, you know, nine hours a day. And then I go to the hospice and see my mum. And I was fortunate that for, she had her wits about her for a long time. I think the, she, I think two weeks before she passed, she really disintegrated. And that was horrible. I couldn't, I I couldn't watch it. I couldn't uh, even think about it And that was the reason I, I just didn't either. I think I basically tried to protect yourself, right? Yeah. It's, it's a horrible thing to watch, but I think that Seeing her in that state really prepared me for the loss because I thought she's she's truly she truly is in a better place, like truly in a better place. Um, but my friend she she played um, at my mom's funeral because oh, and it was that we like we and she became one of my one of my close friends over that period because of that that mutual loss. So I thought that something really beautiful a beautiful friendship came out of two people who had had really terrible experiences. So. Yeah, it's it's so it's new ones. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's, but it, yeah, it's it's so interesting and funny how like on one, on one sort of sphere it can really bond people and have people really come together and then on the flip side of it people find it very difficult to talk about and find it very um, or have such d- different and nuanced ways about talking about stuff like I had a period of, t- of time and by no means it wasn't people that are as you know close to me as like pe- parents etc but I had like a little period of time where like a fair few people in my family passed away it was like an uncle and a and a and my like great grandma and it was sort of a close period of time but I feel like even like I was sort of like bad at talking about it and wrote like you know like ended up writing songs about it that were minorly and funny and just it's, I just find it so interesting how people deal with it um differently but um what I was going to ask is that um, obviously you say that you've done like quite a lot of um, charity events, sort of, sort of charity uh, b- puppies <laughs> and like sporting things. <laughs> and like, 
do you think that if people were sort of better able to like talk about the grief that sort of comes before doing that that more people would be involved with stuff like that because I don't know on a case I, I feel like it sort of comes in waves and I've seen people sort of do your, you know your 5ks and your runs for life and stuff like that but I just don't I don't know if if like enough the that kind of stuff is happening like I, I just wonder whether it's because we're not that great about talking about the stuff in the first place I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah potentially I mean I think so one thing I heard once, which was ironic and yet true, is when specifically catered to running, running is actually a really classic response to someone going through grief or depression because they can literally and figuratively run from their thoughts. So <laughs> it's it's something that kind of gets people literally out their head because they can go, cool, I'm running, but I'm also trying to run away from the situation. So I think if people are able to have the conversation more openly and talk about how they feel, then a way to deal with that, yes, is exercise. Now the the borderline or the, the, the fine line comes between a small amount of exercise just to cope with it or going too far to the end and over exercising. And there was definitely a period for me where when I was at uni, I was training 10 times a week which is ludicrous Mm. there were times when I was training three times a day and just constantly going going, on top of your workload exactly at the time I was like oh yeah that's going to be fine because you know it's giving me good endorphins but I was trying to ride the endorphin high rather than actually deal with what was going on inside so the high never ends (laughs) yeah right (laughs) apart from apart from when you break yourself and then you get injured and then you can't do anything and then you get inside your head that's not ideal. Um, but yeah, I think definitely if people spoke about it more, I feel like they would then be able to, yeah, direct that grief, especially if they were in, like, fitness was part of their life anyway. Mm. It could be something that people would be more involved with and and find it as a way to help raise money, for mm. sure. Yeah. Um, but again, it's where seeing somebody and talking to somebody is super important. I say what's been great I think about kind of things like Movember, which has just recently been, is that conversation about talking, even though Movember, again, is definitely a lot more focused on male suicide prevention and everything else, just generally getting people to talk about difficult topics, whether you're a man, woman, whatever gender you are, it gets you to open up and think, actually, okay, yeah, that needs to be talked about. So, yeah, I think in general, we're getting to a point where people are going to start just realizing that we're human and we all feel and have experiences that we don't think are normal, but actually everyone has them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, what hospice was your dad in? So he was in the Martlets. I don't know. Um, so it's based in Brighton, like a Brighton based hospice. Um, yeah. And they were just angels. Yeah. Like <laughs> I am, was so impressed with, my mum's hospice care and I always talk about the NHS when I talk about this I'm like she like I think something like it costs something like eight grand a day to run just one hospice and like you get it all for free she had physiotherapy all her meals like and I'm just like like I mean Boris fucking passed a like they scrapped an amendment that said that um that the NHS is protected from trade deals and they scrapped it last night um or two nights ago yeah like so it makes me just like utterly 
sad and melancholy about the state of our country. Um, but hats off to, was it Martlets? Martlets? Yeah. I kept thinking, I was like, Bartlett, Bartlett, Bartlett. And um, I want to yeah. do, I want to say a shout out to the Marie Curie Hospice as well, because they're amazing. Yeah. 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 Big yeah. shout out. Yes. Uh, I'm getting my like warm and fuzzies grief, but also my like, uh. <laughs> I'm trying to put the feelings into words. Um, Emma, is there anything on that subject of grief that you want to say that you haven't had to say yet? Got to say yet? Yeah, I think, I think one thing that, massively helped me especially when I was super in my head and it's stuff that people now vocalize about a lot more is writing so my way to cope when I was like fully in my head even when I was at uni still actually I would write poetry Ah. really rogue really random I was never really that great at English no it's great but I went down the route of writing poetry and I've got tens of poets poets poems in my notes still that i sometimes look back on from like seven i've got tens ago. of poets in my wardrobe don't tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> they're all just sat there chilling we'll get them on the mic in just a chilling. moment <laughs> but, yeah, to the honestly, stage. Like... <laughs> emma's honestly, wardrobe poets sorry we'll stop <laughs> i love it i love it um but yeah like for me that was my way of vocalizing how i felt and I'd even do, so there's one that I have, which was the first one that I did. You know, um, Faith Evans and P. Diddy, I'll Be Missing You. Yes, yes. I rewrote the lyrics to that. About, yeah, about my dad and about my sister and about us, like, and how, and his battle with, with his tumour, like, as a verse. And I think it was because, you know, when you're in that sad state, it's going to sound really good, but you know when you're in that sad state and you're like, I just want to be more sad. So what I do is I'd listen to sad music to feel sadder. And that's just, I just did that revolving circle thing. It's weird. I don't know why I did it, but I felt the need. I was like, if the emotion's there, I'm going to try and get it out. So I just listened to sad stuff. And that was one of the songs that came on rotation. I was like, do you know what? I feel inspired. And that's when I literally put pen to paper and wrote something down. And that was the first one of then, like the the stream of poetry that I did. So I don't think that's sad at all. I think it's that thing of like, like if you've if you've got the feeling, it's almost like it's almost like the feeling being like on the tip of your tongue and you can't quite release it. Like, and I yeah. think by like then creating a state where you're more sad helps kind of to like flush those feelings out. I did the same thing with um, there's a musical called Next to Normal, basically about a family dealing with um the mum's like bipolar depression 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 um and I would like stick it on and it was about like an angsty teenager being like oh my mum's so sick and oh it's so sad and it's you know having such a weight on me and I'd be like uh, uh, my mum's so sick and I'm so sad yeah <laughs> I'd like listen to it on the, on the bus on the way to school which probably was really morbid but it helped I thought you were gonna yeah. t- tell the story of you singing memory from cats but you didn't so it wasn't memory from cats it was what I did for love <laughs> Oh my god! It was not you, memory Emma, from cats. It was what I did for what love I did from for a love chorus from line. a chorus line. Oh Emma, do you gosh. know? Emma, do you know? Oh my god! I can't. I'm going to say this. Sorry, Emma. Do you know a chorus line? I don't know it. I do love musicals, but I don't know that. Okay, so uh, a chorus line is basically about like um a, like chorus dancers in America, like on Broadway, and it's about yeah. them auditioning for a job. And one of the songs at the end is like this super like melancholy like song about like 
that they like all the things they do, all the sacrifices they make to be in, in the business. And I basically didn't get a job that I really wanted. So, and I was like, I could feel a cry coming on, but I couldn't quite get it out. So I just sat in my car <laughs> and I put it on and I, and I, and I put on what I did for love. And it, as soon as I heard it and like, they're all like, you know, all the things that I did, I gave up and I was sat there in my car and like Hornsy, like, oh, what I did for love. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh, that wasn't yeah, the story it, I was thinking of, but that—that's amazing. Oh well, that—that's what I did. I can't remember what job it was. It clearly wasn't that important, but <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. It, need, it needed to come out though. Um, do you still do you still write your poems now, Emma? I haven't in a long while, actually. Um, I did so. I did a couple of years ago, probably three or four years ago. Um, I sometimes find as well linking with grief that it comes in like cycles Mm. until I feel like you properly deal with it and kind of make peace as such with it and I kind of get this cyclical sort of around his birthday time I'd feel myself dipping down and then as it then came to his anniversary I'd then go back down again and kind of my way of dealing with that was getting pen back to paper and being like here we are again and I think slowly it's going to take time but slowly learning to not almost sounds really bad but like buy into that time like it's just a time it's just a date it's just a month Mm. that's kind of where i'm i'm at at the minute trying to tell myself that because i'm not gonna lie even now even last year i still super struggled obviously 2020 was heightened everything else anyway but (laughs) like that last year was super super tough i felt some of those demons coming back again and was like nope not today yeah um and yeah took back pen to paper wrote it out again and yeah massively. not today so who, satan yeah like and anyone who is in that headspace of not knowing like what's going on what they're feeling how they're feeling it even if it's not to do with grief even if it's just to do with like life at the moment right like pen to paper even if it's a word you write down about how your day is or like stuff that you're grateful for or stuff that's troubling you and you just want to literally be like I don't like Boris. Like, I don't care. Any of it. <laughs> just stuff that you can write out and just get it onto paper and you'd be like, okay, well, that's that. And it almost feels like a bit of a weight lifted. And I think even now I still feel that. So poets, poem, poets, poems themselves, not for a while, but definitely like words, paragraphs, sometimes pages, if it feels free flowing, I would still write, write out. That's brilliant. That's That's fantastic. Emma, thank you so much for bringing these conversations. They've been so incredible and so broad as well. I feel like we could talk for hours. There's so much to cover on them. Mm. Um, Oh, it's my pleasure. Honestly, do you yeah, have thank any? You so much, yeah, sorry. So, no, I was... <laughs> no, no, you go. No, Mel, no, Mel, please, please. No, no, the microphone just, is yours. Yeah, just saying thank you for you know um, sharing it with us and you know giving us your time and the you know hope, hopefully we gave you the space to say everything you wanted to say. On on that note, I'm gonna just take what Clancy was gonna say. Do you have anything that you wanted to plug or anything else, and anything else that you wanted to say that you didn't get to say during the podcast <gasps> thus far? obviously thank you so much for having me on and also giving people this space to listen to conversations like this because it's so important and it's where I think we mentioned and chatted about social media before and I think it's where for me if I'm not me on social media if I don't tell you about my good days and my bad days and I'm very open and honest about them then 
that's not who I want to be on social. So I feel like yeah. there's a bit of a a trend sometimes of people just being like, it's okay to not be okay. And I'm like, okay, great. But what happens when mental health months out of the way? Are you still saying that? Are you still talking about your good days? Are you still talking yeah. about your bad days? So yeah, for me, if I'm on social, which I do enjoy, it's an amazing community. Like it connected us, right? So yeah. oh my it's, it's awesome from it's awesome from that sense of being. But I think just make sure that people that you follow, that you interact with on a daily basis are being people that you would interact with in real life. And if that's yeah. not the case, then take a look at it and go, are you actually going to try and do you uplift me or make me feel good? If not, bye. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in saying that, you can follow me on social. Um, yeah. <laughs> do it. It's, it's such a great place. And literally, like, you are, like, I feel like you're exactly how you are. Well, this isn't real life, but you are virtually on the, on the, on the old airwaves, exactly as you are on social media, like, I think, personally. So, yeah. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> that's, what, that's literally what I try to be. Like, yeah. I feel like if you're having to put on a facade for social, then you're putting on a facade for yourself in your real life and then that's just damaging so so where do we find you tell us all the handles so you can find me at emma kirkio on both instagram is where i'm mainly active and on twitter um and then my website is literally my name emma kirkio's newbie.co.uk um, and that's where you can find information on all my running plans, my one-to-one stuff, and also my foot consults where I basically give virtual gait analysis um, because in lockdown times, you can't get a gait analysis. So I try to fill that space. So yeah, you can book in with me, do 30-minute consults, and I can have a look at your feet over Zoom, see how your feet are moving, and give you advice on footwear as well. So yes, that is kind of my latest venture, which I've done in the last few weeks. That's amazing. Um, I find like how feet work really fascinating, but like I I, I don't like feet at all. Like well, I don't technically like feet, sick. right? Oh god. No, I don't like feet either, right? But people assume because I like the functioning and movement of that feet. Do you have like a foot like, fetish? Oh, yeah, they're like, oh. do you like feet? Wow. So like when I worked at Pro Feet, for example, one segment of our analysis was to do with actually touching feet, right? Because I actually yeah. had to to see what was going on, right? We didn't have gloves, anything like that. We put obviously hand sanitizer, like everything is in life now. And then we'd move people's toe joints, look at ankles, all that jazz. And you'd be surprised. I'd probably say one in about 20 people would be like, oh, do you like feet? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's my job. Like, it's my job to work your mechanics. I need to look at your feet for your mechanics. There's nothing I get out of this. It's actually horrendous. Especially when it was in summer. Can you imagine? Oh, people no. walking Sweaty. off the street. Oh, and then no. they come in with their flip floppy, sweaty feet. And I'm like, eh, Oh, my no. gosh. Oh, I'm so glad you feel my pain. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, Thank I do. You. Trust me. I feel very indifferent towards them. They're fine. Fine. Oh, but they're very interesting they're very interesting when it comes to footwear yeah. and mechanics so many little and running bones and... and stuff right exactly <laughs> also but before we let you go i feel like i've been really rude how, like how are you and how how's your injury because i know you've been you've been poorly but like are you okay because like, we've been following you on socials but i just wanted to like check like are you good like yeah. yes no i'm good so yeah like uh, say it's I kind of laugh about it now, but every lockdown so far, I've had a new injury. So it's been great. Like lockdown one, I managed to run and break my ankle. That was good. Um, Lockdown two, I managed to uh, catch a heavy barbell on my neck, which then ended up bursting a blood vessel in my head. Awesome. And then lockdown three is now IT band. So like knee discomfort. Um, However, the happiness to that whole 
thing is that I managed to do a 20 minute run today, pain free and feel good. So I'm gonna hold on to that and be like, we have positives. We are moving in the right direction. And God forbid a lockdown four. I feel like that's just can't be a thing. No, 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 no injuries no. there, please. Absolutely not. I'm sending it out there. No more injuries for Emma. God damn um, it. Emma, thank you so much for coming thank on the podcast. You. This has been Open House with Mel Lowe and Clancy Ryan. Music by Glenn Clark.